Welcome to Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Claire Pooley, author of The Sober Diaries and The Authenticity Project, a New York Times and international bestseller and winner of the RNA Debut Novel Award. Claire is my first international guest on the show since she's joining us from Fulham, London, where she lives with her husband, three children, two border terriers, and an African pygmy hedgehog. After 20 years in the heady world of advertising where, according to her bio, she worked hard, played hard, and drank even harder, Claire realized that she had to say farewell to alcohol and so started a blog, Mommy, Mommy Was a Secret Drinker, by way of therapy, which ultimately became a memoir, The Sober Diaries. Claire then used her experience of telling the truth about her own shady life to inspire her first novel, The Authenticity Project. In today's conversation, we'll talk about how writing can serve as a tool for those dealing with addictions, as well as help others gain a better understanding of the difficulties involved in gaining control over them. And also, what, were, what role writing plays in her life now? So welcome to the show, Claire. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Um, let's get right into your writing background. Now, on your blog, Mummy Was a Secret Drinker, and later in your 2017 memoir, The Sober Diaries, you talk honestly and openly about your drinking habit and the path you took to gain control over it. So let's start with the blog. Why did you decide to use that format to talk about what you saw as your possible alcoholism? Oh, uh, well, you know, when I, the day I realized I really had to stop drinking, um, I was, one of the, my most overwhelming feelings was shame. I was, I felt like I was the only person in the world that felt like I did and had the same issues as I did. And I didn't feel able to talk to my husband, to my family, to my friends, uh, but I knew I had to offload I had this sort of urge to just tell somebody what was what was going on and what I was dealing with and so I thought well I'll write a diary because that's what I used to do when I was I was a kid you know I always loved writing when I was little I always loved reading um, and I used to write this diary you know religiously until till I was in my 20s and life got in the way so I thought I'll write a diary, but that that's a bit old fashioned. And these days people don't write diaries, they write blogs. So I thought I'll write a blog. Um, but, you know, I'm a technophobe, so it took me a really long time to work out how to do it. And I was, again, because of the shame, I didn't want anyone to know it was me. So I set the whole thing up under a pseudonym, which was Sober Mummy. And I just wrote every single day as a form of therapy, really. It was just to get everything off my chest and I didn't publicize a blog, a blog at all so I wasn't really expecting very many people if anyone to to find it it started off really being as something I was doing for me and to help get my head in in order well you know that's that's fascinating and the fact that you went public in a way by doing a blog which is like so public but at the same time you were hiding who you were when did you decide to say who you were, say that that was you behind the blog? Oh, it took a really long time, actually. So, 
so people gradually started finding me and and actually within the first year I'd had over a million hits on on the blog and I sort of found this whole community of people and and really they were the reason I, I stayed on the straight and narrow and after after about a year people started saying to me you know you really should share your story more widely you know in the form of a book or something so that you know it will help more people and and I thought well if I'm going to do that I can't do it anonymously I'm going to have to come out from behind the pseudonym and you know a year into not drinking I was much more confident about it and you know now I look back and I have no idea why I felt so ashamed when actually I was doing something really brave and really strong but um but that is how how I felt and how thousands and thousands of people I think particularly women feel when they they first face up to an addiction they feel like it's their fault and that's certainly how I felt um so yes it, uh, the reason I finally came out was was so I could um I could share share my story more more widely and um and really to stop other people feeling the same shame that I had done well, that that certainly seems to to have worked now I'm curious about the sequence did blogging about drinking help you get control over it or were you already more or less in control of it and so you started blogging about about what you had been through and what you're learning. Oh, well, I mean, I started blogging literally about two days after I quit drinking. So, um, so it was my tool to stay sober. It wasn't how I, you know, it, I, I wasn't blogging while I was still drinking. Um, I started blogging as soon as I quit drinking. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it helped me for a number of different reasons. I guess one is that, when you write the story of of um, how you how you got to where you got to and how it feels, it reminds you when you look back, um, you know, not to not to go back there again. So it's because sometimes you know you you can go six months without drinking and you forget how bad it was you know we're very very good at our brains are very good at deleting trauma <laughs> so you know you look back at really difficult times and, it, and you can't imagine that it was really that bad so having it all written down was really really helpful and um and also I did loads of research so I wrote about all these things I'd learned and again it sort of helped helped me clarify why I was doing what I was doing. And I guess the most important thing it did for me is, is finding other people like me, which just made me feel less alone. So was that part of the reason why you switched from doing the blog, or not necessarily switched, but expanded from just doing the blog to actually doing the Sober Diaries? Is that, is that why you, you wanted to share your experience and, and be very open and honest about it? Um, yes, I, I hadn't, I'd read loads of books. So as soon as I quit drinking, I ordered so, you know, all the books I could find on alcohol and alcohol issues. I ordered memoirs, I ordered self-help guides. I ordered, you know, this, this whole great big stash, which I hid under my bed. Um, and <laughs> like a sort of, you know, like, like a teenage boy would with his pornography, I guess, you know, I had all these, all these alcohol books under my bed. 
And, um, but I, what I couldn't find is, so all the memoirs were generally books about people's drinking stories. So, you know, I would nod away thinking, yes, I understand how you got to that situation. And yes, I felt like that. And yes, I associate with that. And then I get to the end of the book and they'd say, and then I went to rehab um, or then I quit drinking somehow. And now everything is fine and my life is lovely. And I had so many questions. I wanted to say, well, how did you stop drinking and how long did it take to your life was fine and what did it feel like in the first week and what did it feel like six months later and um you know what were the what were the side effects and what are the good things about not drinking I mean it's just endless questions that weren't answered by those books and that's really what I wanted to do for other people I wanted to make people feel less ashamed I wanted to make people feel less alone because what I hear from people more than anything else is people um, telling me that uh, when they read my story their sense of relief that they weren't the only person <laughs> to feel the way that I felt was huge so I wanted to, to share that and and I wanted to answer those questions you know how, how long does it take um, before you start feeling okay? How difficult is it? What are the hard bits? What are the easy bits? Um, you know, all, all of that. So, so I literally wrote about that first year and answering all those questions. How does it feel? How long does it take? What happens next? You know, everything. One of the things that occurs to me is um, for people who want to write about their experience, whether it deals with alcoholism, some form of trauma or whatever. I, I think sometimes there's also the fear that, you know, I wanna share my story. I want to help other people, but is this going to embarrass my parents? Is this going to embarrass my spouse? Um, did you did you talk about this with your husband before you went public about it? And and were there were there concerns about how would people perceive you and by extension your marriage if if it comes out that oh she's got a drinking problem? Uh, yeah, good question. I mean, I I wouldn't have done this if my husband hadn't backed me. And actually, what happened? We were away on holiday and. I said to him, I said, look, I've been thinking about something and people keep telling me, he, by this stage, he knew I'd been writing the blog and he'd read the blog as I was writing it. Um, so he was completely aware of what I was doing at, by this point. And, um, and he was really proud of what I'd done. And he was amazed by the reaction it was getting and how many people were finding it helpful. So, you know, so I said, look, people keep telling me I should turn this into a book. And um, how would you feel about that? Because, you know, if I did that, it would be your story as well as mine. And it would be our kids story as well as mine. And people, some people might be supportive, but other people might not be. And I guess we'd have to deal with that. And he said, he said, look, you know, he said there would be there would be bound to be ups and downs, but it would be an adventure. And don't we all need more adventure in our lives? And you know what? I've hardly ever loved him more. <laughs> it was, you know, he was so supportive and he's been, you know, so supportive about the whole thing all the way through. All, all the people I mentioned 
in the book, I checked with them that they were happy for me to use their real names, that they were happy with what I was saying. Um, and I think the people I was most worried about were my parents, because, you know, you always want your parents to think you're perfect. And and yet here was I washing all my dirty linen in public. So I think one of the most scary things I had to do was um, when the publisher printed proofs of the book. So this is about you know, six months or so before publication. And, you know, they print sort of rough copies of, of the book. And I sent one each to my parents. And, and I waited for 24 hours while they read it. And I was utterly terrified. <laughs> and it, they, again, they were uh, hugely, hugely supportive and didn't ask me to change a thing. Um, so, and I, th I think it made us a lot closer because I think they understood me a lot better than they they had done before. And I think I value them so much more for loving me despite all of it and not just because they didn't know all of it. Well, I, I think that that's certainly a wonderful experience. I mean, you know, that's to have the people that you care about, that care about you, be supportive of this. I, I think that that is important, um, you know, all, all the way around. Certainly, it, it also shows, you know, we're all human. Like you said, you know, we want our parents to think that we're perfect and or we want our friends or we want our boss or whoever. And, and it's like, but you know what? We're not perfect they're not perfect either. And, you know, a little bit of honesty can go a long way in, in, in the world. And, and certainly after the, the year we've been through with COVID and everything, I think a lot of times our own, um, I don't want to say weaknesses, but our own, our own needs, our own issues tended to come out a little bit more. And everybody was saying how difficult things were. So then it becomes, okay, we're all, you know, we're all going to be a little more honest with each other and, and thereby be more supportive. So I, I think that um, it sounds like you've certainly achieved your goal with the Sober Diaries because, you know, you, you've said, you know, this is my story and it's the same story I'm hearing from everybody else. Mm. So it's not just me, you know. Mm. So that's, that's, that is just... Um, certainly a testament and a testament to your ability to be um, honest and at the same time be objective because it's important to have a level of objectivity especially when we're talking about our own experience because mm. otherwise we can we can fall into a hole too much and it serves no purpose at all you know i want to switch to your novel the authenticity project which is actually how i came across you because i i picked it up at the library, you know, and initially, and I thought, oh, this sounds kind of interesting. And I fell in love with it. I mean, I fell in love with it, had to tell myself to quit turning down the corners and now I have to order it, right? So <laughs> you know, that that's always a real, that, that's a good indication when I really like a book, when it's like, okay, I'm buying this book because, you know, you, you buy the book, it stays with me forever. Well, so, thank um, you. You know, yeah, I mean, it was it was a fascinating story. It, it really was with with some very interesting twists and turns, which I will not share. People have to read it. But, you know, I, I my perception of the book is that it takes a different approach to the topic of gaining control over your life 
it, it, it's about being brave. It's about putting your real self forward and finding out that um, it's not as scary as it seems when, when we're honest and, and open about it. Is there a connection in terms of the theme between this novel and the Sober Diaries? Uh, yes, that, that really is actually, because the, the novel really is about uh, the magic that happens, the transformational effect of being really honest about your life, about stopping the pretense and stopping that. You know how we all um, go on Instagram and Facebook and show the very best bits. We curate our lives, don't we? We show the, the nice bits and we you know, we hide all the bits that we don't like so much. And, and the novel is what, what, about what happens when you, you share the real you. And um, in, the, in the book, uh, Julian, uh, an artist who's about 79 years old, gets a little green exercise book and he writes on the front, The Authenticity Project. And inside he writes his biggest truth which is the fact that he's incredibly lonely because his wife has died 15 years previously and he leaves the book in a cafe um, and he says at the end of his little story you know what happens next is up to you you could throw this in the bin or you could write your own truth and pass it on and the cafe owner does exactly that and the book is passed between six total strangers who all say something really honest about their lives and as a result miracles start to happen they start to meet each other and they start to change each other's lives for the better and really that's sort of what happened to me you know I found that telling the real truth about my life not only transformed my life but it transformed the lives of lots of other people who read it and it formed this community around me and that's really what happens in the in the book as well so so it's not the same as my story, but it is very much inspired by my story. Well, and, I, and I found it interesting that you used writing as a tool or as a motif or whatever you want to call it in this book. I mean, you could have just as easily made everybody doing artwork or something else, but it's, it's like the common thread seems to be writing things down as a way of writing yourself out of whatever restriction that you might feel you're, you're caught in. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that actually. And I think what's, what um, I wanted to play with is, is when I told my story, I did it uh, on the internet. So I typed it and I sent it out onto the World Wide Web. Um, and I was interested in what would happen if somebody were to do the same thing, but in their local community, um, you know, with the people around them. And I'm also fascinated by handwriting. And you can tell so much about somebody from their handwriting. You can tell what sort of person they are. You can tell what sort of age they are. You can tell what sort of mood they're in. And if you were in a cafe and you found a notebook which had somebody's handwriting in it, it would be very hard not to read it, <laughs> you know, even if you weren't a particularly nosy person. And, and that's really what I wanted to play with is the, the magnetic effect of handwriting. That, you know, I, I'm, of course, this came out, what, in 2020, correct? Mm -hmm, yes. When yes, everybody was still 
pretty much sequestered, well, everybody was sequestered in their homes, but it would, it would be curious to see if people after they read the book, try their own version of an authenticity project. Yeah, and, and people tell me that they have. Um, so, uh, and even, even people who haven't done the same thing about, you know, writing in a book and leaving it somewhere, uh, people have left the novel in, in places for other people to find, or they've just told me that actually they're just more aware of the people around them. So, so people have told me things like, um, I remember a lady saying that uh, there was an old man that, that she used to, to pass quite frequently and she always sort of slightly avoided him because he always looked a bit grumpy and a bit sort of, um, uh, you know, a, a little bit odd maybe. And she made a conscious effort to, to smile at him and say hello. And he, you know, he looked incredibly grateful to, to be acknowledged and now they're good friends. Um, so, you know, so I, it, it's, I think it has hopefully made people think a little bit about the people around them and what they might be going through. Um, you know, it would be great if everyone thought more about the fact that everyone is dealing with something. Nobody actually is perfect. Everything that we see on social media has a gloss to it. Um, and, uh, and just being aware of that, I think, makes us more, more empathetic. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just a, it, it's a fascinating premise for the novel, but, you know, like you said, it's, it'll, it's interesting to see how it's going to, to spark people in real life. I mean, as writers, isn't that what we hope for anyways? You know, we, we want, of course, we want people to read our book. We want people to enjoy whatever we wrote, you know, maybe, maybe it'll stick in their mind a little bit, but I mean, the best possible scenario is when something we write makes a change in their mind, either in their behavior or their understanding or, or something like, like we open a little door and, and say, well, come on, walk, walk through this door. You, you read the book, you're intrigued by this character, or what, you know, whether the book is fiction or nonfiction, you were, you're intrigued by the premise, the character, the story, whatever. Now walk, walk through the door and see if it shows you something you can do differently in your own life. Yes, I mean, you really, you want something to stay with people, don't you? I mean, I, I read I read so many books and I feel like my head doesn't have enough room to keep them all, all there. And and just, you know, sometimes I even buy the, uh, the same book a second time. And once I've even bought the same book three times because I, I almost forget that I've, I've read it. And, uh, you know, what... I guess we're all aiming for is 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 for you know to leave something behind to to leave something that sticks that, that makes you think a bit differently that uh, you know that takes you somewhere different. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that is that is our best hope, you know, as, as writers. Um, you know, switching back to real life versus the novel. Um, it, in, in your bio, it says you gave up alcohol in 2015, and, and then months later, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Why did you choose to not write about the cancer experience, but instead you focused on alcoholism? Well, you know, in the, the Sober Diaries, because it's the story of the first year after I quit drinking, it does include the, you know, the, the, the moment I discovered I had breast cancer and the treatment I went through and, you know, how that all felt, but it did, I wrote it in the context of, 
of that whole journey um, because, you know, actually there are a lot of books out there about dealing with, with, um, with cancer and people who write about it a lot better than, than I, I can. Um, what, what I thought, what I wanted to talk about in my experience was um, what it feels like to deal with a really traumatic experience without the benefit of being able to numb your feelings and your emotions, which is what I used to do with alcohol. So what it feels like to go through something like that raw, if you like. Um, and you know what, whenever I, whenever I went for any of my appointments at the, the hospital, whenever I had any sort of test results or anything, um, the doctors and nurses would always say, now, why don't you go home and pour yourself a nice gin and tonic? <laughs> you know, and it was it was sort of expected that, you know, you would, we would we would use alcohol as a prop through that sort of experience. And I think most people do. Um, so so that's the context in which I, I wrote about it really is is um, you, you know, when you're when you're trying to quit an addiction, and something like that happens, you have a choice of, of letting it derail you or plowing straight on through. And I wanted to let people know what it feels like to plow straight on through. <laughs> and you know what? I am so grateful every single day that I was diagnosed after I quit drinking, because if I'd still been drinking when I was going through that period of my life, all the wheels would have fallen off the wagon because I would have cried in front of the children. I wouldn't have been able to cope. I wouldn't have been able to, uh, I, I just, I just wouldn't have been able to keep everything together. And uh, I'm so grateful I did it sober. Plus the fact that alcohol and cancer is a really bad mix. So physically I would have been in a much worse position if I was still drinking at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I find that, interesting for want of a better word that that they said oh go home and pour gin and talk i mean it's like you know you're supposed to be healthcare providers but be that as it may i'm sure they meant it in in the best possible way um you know one of the things whenever i i talk to writers who are writing um who are writing while they're going through something uh, sometimes they choose to write about something completely unrelated to whatever traumatic experience they're going through, whether it's dealing with an addiction, whether it's watching a loved one with a terminal illness, whatever it is. So it's kind of like the writing became a way to escape, even if it's only for an hour or so a day from what's going on. In your case, you, with your writing, you put yourself back into or or along with what you're going on so you were kind of like double dosing yourself you were not only going through the post deciding not to drink anymore stage which you know I'm sure was not easy and then you're writing about it at, at the same time so how did you keep first of all how did you keep yourself on an even keel because you're not giving yourself any break from what you're dealing with but also how how did you maintain a creative distance so that you could be honest about what you're going through you know from a personal level but also at the same time be objective enough that you were you were helpful to people how did you balance that 
Oh, um, I guess I guess the thing about not going uh, going back a bit to, to what you were saying about um, giving yourself a break. I mean, I just I find the act of writing in itself gives me a break because when you're dealing with an addiction, you have this what we call an addict brain. You know, it's a sort of there's an addict voice in your head, which is which is nonstop. So this voice in your head is saying things like, um, you know, why don't you have another drink? You know, you weren't so, you really weren't that bad. I'm sure you could manage just to have one. Um, you know, it, uh, where would you buy it from? What would you drink? Or, I mean, it just, it's nonstop. And, you know, one of the best things about quitting drinking is not having that voice in your head anymore. But if you talk to anyone who's addicted to anything, you know, whether it's gambling or drugs or alcohol, or anyone with an eating disorder, they'll be familiar with that voice in your head. And for me, writing got rid of the voice because it's it's a writing and effectively is a form of flow. You know, you have you are totally focused on what you're doing, and it gives your brain a break. So even though I was writing about what I was going through, it still it it still did that for me it still gave me a break it still took me out of myself and and put me in a sort of little bubble um and that's why I found it so therapeutic and um and then when I started writing fiction um then that's that was interesting again because then I was one step removed from my own experience so um so in a way that was even more that was even more therapeutic because what you can do with fiction is you can explore the things that you find interesting or difficult or um, things that you've been through or things that you might want to go through, but you can do it with a distance because you're doing it through somebody else's eyes. You're doing it through the eyes of your character, which, which gives you a sort of protective bubble almost. Um, but uh, so through Hazard, so Hazard in, in the book is, is an alcohol and cocaine addict. And um, we see him deal with his addiction and and try and sort of you know get through the first few months of of being sober, and um, and Hazard isn't me. You know he's he's a, a guy. He also has a cocaine issue. He um, he's you know he's very different from me. But a lot of what he goes through is what I went through. But he does it. You know, but me exploring that through somebody else gave me a level of protection if that makes sense yeah yeah no I, I totally understand I mean I'm, I'm a fiction writer and a lot of times what I've done um, when I'm writing my own fiction is if I'm either going through something in real life like when I lost my parents or before they even became ill when that was for some odd reason always in the back of my mind I mean as your parents get older you can't avoid thinking about someday right mm. and so a lot of times what I would do is I would I would have my characters deal with some form of traumatic loss I don't want to say as a dress rehearsal but it was almost like okay I can't I can't really look at it happening in real life to me not having my parents anymore so let me put my let me put my character through it to sort of, I don't know, to sort of, to sort of walk up a little bit closer 
too. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It's, it's sort of like slaying your dragons. And, you know, to date, I haven't written, I haven't written a character dealing with cancer, but in my third novel, which I'm just starting to plan at the moment, I think I am going to do that. And I think I might, and I haven't worked this out yet, but I might even have one of my characters die at the end of it because this is my big fear. This is my elephant in my room. <laughs> you know? and, and I think writing about that and writing somebody else go through that will help me face up to it and you know, slay the dragon. Um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I find fiction, and I think, I think when you write like that, when, you, when you're dealing with your own really raw emotions, I think, I hope that comes through on the page. You know, I, I think as a reader, you know that this is something which is not lightly felt. You know, you know that you are reading real emotions and real fears and, and and real experiences so so i hopefully it doesn't it's not just good for me it's good for the reader too well i, I think it certainly makes it more authentic makes it more believable i mean we because it's we get a sense um i'm sure you've you've read novels where it's kind of like eh, she she's writing about this about this character going through an experience but it seems to lack reality and then other times you read about it and you forget that these are that these are fictional characters. It's it's done so well. Well, like like in your first novel, it's done so well that it's like, oh, are are these real people or, you know, I mean, you, you just yeah, the line becomes very blurred because there is such a level of, of truth to it. And, and I'm glad you brought up the novels you're working on now, because it, it made me think when you when you quit the advertising career, okay, when you left the industry behind, did you have any idea that you were going to ultimately become a novelist? Oh, you know what? It, it was always my dream. It was, it was my dream since I was a, a child. And I think, I, I'm sure you were the same. I think most novelists, it's, being, it's hard writing a novel, <laughs> you know, isn't it? And, and I think most people who become novelists have always dreamt of being one because I'm not sure you can you need to really want it in order to be able to make it through those early drafts and then the constant edits and and everything else that's involved um, so yes I'd always wanted to be a novelist but when I first left advertising I I didn't think that that was going to be possible. I think by that stage, my life had become very small. I think because of the alcohol addiction, uh, I was, I'd lost my courage. I'd lost my energy. I'd lost my creativity. I was, I was really stuck in a rut and I couldn't have believed that I could get to where I am now. And, and also, you know, I was, by then I was in my late forties and, and I sort of felt like I was, you know, I was at the end of something, not the beginning of something. I felt like now it was all about my kids and not about me. And one of the most joyful things for me is having a second act, is feeling like actually in your 50s, you can have a whole new career and a whole new lease of life. And, you know, we are not 
over by the time we get to 50. This is only the beginning. It's just the beginning of a new chapter. Well, I, I think that's certainly since I had my 50th birthday a decade and a half at least ago. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's it's important to, to look at it that way. And, and, and I, I find it interesting that writing actually became your way, not only out, but also to another, mm. another stage in your life, another, another whole direction, a, a new identity. So um, when can we expect the next novel? Uh, well, um, did you, uh, again, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but people talk about the tricky second novel, don't they? And it's like the tricky second album, you know, it's, it's notoriously difficult to write the second novel. And I wrote a whole second novel. I spent a year writing a second novel and I got to the end and I shared it with my editors in the US and the UK. And we had a conference call. And, um, and I thought, you know, I'm not sure I love this enough and I'm not sure that they love this enough. And I could work on it for a lot longer and make it a bit better, but I'm not sure we're ever going to be truly passionate about it. So I threw it in the bin, <laughs> whole year's worth of work. And, um, and I started all over again. And so now I've finished my second novel, which is really my third novel. <laughs> Um, and this time round, the process was completely different. It was, it's funny when a story is working, the process of writing it feels very different, doesn't it? It's, it's sort of, it's not, uh, it's not painful in, in the way that a tricky novel is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so I'm now editing it and um, it will be out sometime in 2022, but it's not, the date isn't yet confirmed. And the title, we're still debating the title, which we always end up doing ad infinitum. Um, so it may be some time before it has a, a proper title as well. It's quite difficult finding a title that works in the UK and the US. Oh. Um, so because quite often there are, you know, the sort of titles, I sort of words that I put in titles only work in, on one side of the Atlantic or the other. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so, so relatively soon. Well, you know, I, I, find that what you said about you spent a whole year writing what would be novel number two and then decided no to put this one aside we're not doing this one or throw it away or whatever but that didn't stop you from moving on and starting another one I, I think um Sometimes people, you know, they, like you said, you know, you, you did your first novel, that one did really well. And then it's like, if the second one is not gelling, it's like, I've lost it. I'll never, ever be able to write again. Why put myself through this? Blah, blah, blah. It's like remembering all the bad parts. I did some of that it. too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I find that really something people should pay attention to that you said that okay you you made and you made an objective creative decision that we got to put this one this one isn't going to do it so let me do another one not this means I can't write but this project 
is just flawed. It doesn't, it, it's not a reflection on you as a writer. It's a reflection on that particular project. So I, I find that very encouraging. Yeah, I'm, I I found that, and I'm so glad I made that decision. Now, having got to the end of the new book, I'm really pleased that I'm publishing this book next and not the other one. So it was definitely the right thing to do. To be honest, I'm not sure I could do it twice. And I remember saying to my agent, um, you know, because everyone was saying, oh, you know, well done you being so brave and starting all over again. I said, you know, okay, but I'm not sure I could do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think then I really would have lost faith because I did have a lot of those moments in the middle of the night when I thought, I'm never going to be able to write another novel. I'm never going to be able to write anything that's any good. I'm, you know, I, I was this. This was a one-hit wonder, and 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 that's going to be it. That's the end of my career. I mean, I went through all of that, um, and uh, and I I got through it, but I'm not sure I could have done it twice because <laughs> you know what it's like the dredging a whole story out of your imagination you know complete with rich characters and and detailed plots etc is exhausting it's like climbing a mountain you get to the top and you think oh God. and then you go down the other side on the edits you know you're sort of the easy easier bit not easy by any shape of the, of the imagination but the easier bit is when you start molding it so to go through the process of climbing the mountain and then having to climb a whole new mountain immediately is doubly exhausting. And I, I couldn't have done it a third time, I don't think. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad that your experience with the third novel that you wrote, the one that will be coming out next was much more positive because that'll give you the incentive to do the next novel. But um, <laughs> I mean, really, that's always, I, I think there's always some part of our mind, you know, we're, we're working on today's project, but there's always some little corner of our mind where, where a whole new batch of characters are standing there waiting in the wings going, okay, when is it our turn? You know, when, yeah. when can we come out and when can you talk about me now? But, and it gets crowded, doesn't it? Because yeah. I still have my old characters in my head because I can't quite let them go. And, you know, during the pandemic, I would think, oh, I wonder what Monica would be doing now and how would Hazard be dealing with this? And, you know, so mm -hmm. they're still there along with the five characters in the new book. And then, as you say, I'm already starting to think about there are three main characters in, in the next one I'm, I'm planning so yeah, it gets a bit crowded. You start feeling a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like having this big hotel in there and everybody, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little crazy. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm so glad we talked about so many different things because I, I think both for writers and for people who are dealing with whatever trauma, whatever issue they're trying to deal with in their life, um, it it's, it's such an, uh, a positive thing for them to consider, okay, maybe I, I can write about this or, or use some form, you know, it doesn't have to be writing, it could be artwork, it could be whatever, but it gives you, like you said, it gives you a somewhat of, of a relief, gives you a place to go. And, and it also shows you that you're not the only person. So, you know, from that standpoint, um, 
there's certainly a benefit, you know, however people choose to to share their reality, because I think that is is also where we draw a lot of strength when we realize we're not the only person on this trauma island. There's a bunch of other people on a trauma island too. And if we all kind of link up together, we can survive the experience. Um, but I've, yeah, I've, but, you know, I've, I've absolutely enjoyed this. Go ahead. There's, there's a um, quote at the beginning of the, the book, uh, which is a Leonard Cohen, a Leonard Cohen lyric, and it goes, um, uh, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering, there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And uh, what I think it's really important to remember, and the reason why I chose that quote is that you know, all the characters in, in my novel, and I think all the people that you are ever going to meet have a crack somewhere. There's something that they're dealing with. There's something that they find difficult. There's something that they find traumatic. And actually those cracks make us stronger. They make us more individual. They make us more unique. They make us more lovable. And, you know, I think, I think that, uh, that that's what we all, we all need to remember. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is, um, it makes us more human. Mm. Okay. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's, it's not that that we're weak people or bad people, we're human people. You know, if, if you if you don't have some kind of a crack somewhere, something you need to deal with, well, you know, odds are pretty good. It's there. You just don't want to see it or haven't have it thrown in your face yet but um yeah it's at some point reality does have have a way of of coming in and and um yeah and and identifying being able to identify it and, and like you said it makes i think it makes us better people too because it, it makes us more empathetic to other people mm, yeah i think that's true i think that's true well, thank you so much for being on the podcast all the way from London, England. <laughs> I have to admit, there's England is one of the places on my someday I will go there list. Oh, um, you must. <laughs> so, you know, I am a bit of an Anglophile. So, um, yeah, I love this. But, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing about your writing, about your life. And, and I know people are going to get a lot from what you have shared on the podcast. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and this is the closest I get at the moment to international travel. So thank you very much. And uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it hugely. So thank you for having me. Well, this is great. And I look forward to your next novel coming out. Thank you. I, I look forward to it. I look forward to it coming out too, <laughs> finally. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on the show.